Welcome to episode 21 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning 
and testing up until you have your first meal of the day. And you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher. And it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device. And I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 21 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hello, everyone. So this is our We're of Legal Age episode number Yay! 21. <laughs> Awesome. We can officially drink now. <laughs> Yay. Oh, I feel like I should have a glass of champagne to celebrate. <laughs> I'll do that later. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> How are things with you? They're going very well. Still have the scratchy voice. Everybody forgive me, but we're we're coming, you know, coming out of the, the beginning of the year stretch, so it should be getting better. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, something I was going to talk about. I have a new sort of intermittent fasting habit that I've adopted that I really like. Ooh, what is that? Well, it's not really, it's more about the food. I'm breaking my fast now with bone broth. Well, technically I made meat broth instead of bone broth, but I've, for the past like three weeks or so, every day, or maybe two weeks, I've been breaking my fast with that and I feel so, it makes me feel so good. Well, that's great. So um, you're not using the bones to make it. You're just using meat. I have the bones in my freezer, and I've made bone broth in the past, but I keep reading things about how it's best to actually start with meat broth and then transition to bone broth because the bone broth is more intense as far as glutamates and different, just different potential reactive compounds, Okay. even though it's like super healing. But I just feel I, – I drink it. I used to break my fast with wine. <laughs> um <laughs> But now I'm doing it with the meat broth, and I just feel so, like, zen and calm. Hey, well, you know, I might actually, when it gets cold, I mean, you know, it's still 100 degrees (laughs) where we live, right? But when it gets colder, that might be, I might try that just because I would enjoy it. Yeah, and it's super healing for the, uh, the, the gut. Yeah. Do you have an instant pot? I think I think I asked no, you that before. No, I, I still don't have one. Um, you know, because I do all these these food delivery meals, so I don't know that I would use it a lot. At, I, I guess I would for the, the for broth. making broth, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I buy one more kitchen gadget, we're gonna have to add on a, another kitchen. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any favorite kitchen gadgets? Because that's probably my favorite the the instant pot. You know, really, I'm at the point right now. This this is going to sound odd because I have bought literally every kitchen gadget that they sell. Like I would buy it and try it. Like I just got a rice cooker because someone's like, try a rice cooker. But I'm actually finding I'm now that I cook every night, I'm enjoying like like the best kitchen gadget is like a good set of pans. I know that sounds oh, crazy, no, yeah. I, but I don't. I'm now like not using gadgets at all. Like I'm using good pans, good knives, and that's really it. And like. I find that the rice is better when I cook it on the stove versus in the gadget. So I don't know. That's just – I'm going back to basics. I don't know. It's like weird. That. Yeah. But, I, well, okay, I do have two gadgets that I do love that I guess are I get, would cons- you could consider them gadgets. One is, you know, a garlic press. And I got a really good oh, yes. garlic press because I use garlic. 
I like have extra garlic. And when a recipe calls for garlic and they send garlic, I add like twice as much. <laughs> and I also have this mushroom slicer contraption that looks like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things that cuts boiled eggs, whatever. You put it in there and it slices it. But I do a lot with mushrooms in these recipes. And so you just put your mushroom on there and go, and it slices it. Oh, I might have to get one of those. Yeah, I love, you know, slicing mushrooms can be a little tedious. But this just literally you just go chop and it slices the whole thing. I feel like that's something I might see at like Ross or TJ Maxx or where they have all the kitcheny gadgets. Yeah, and I'm trying stuff. to think. I might have gotten it at Williams Sonoma. Oh, and I have a corn zipper. <laughs> you don't eat corn, corn do you? Corn zipper. You don't no. eat corn. A corn zipper. Someone told me about this. Um, this you know seasonal corn. They're they're sending a lot of corn recipe or corn in recipes right now, and they'll send like an entire fresh ear of corn that you have to shuck and then. They want you to cut the corn off the ear. So there's this little gadget. And I know I got this one at Williams-Sonoma, and it's a corn zipper. And you just, it like cuts the corn right off. You just go, it looks like a cheese slicer almost, but it's for corn. Oh, wow. So, okay, I said I have no gadgets, and then I just named three. But (laughs) (laughs) they can all fit in the drawer, so. (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Shall we jump into our questions today? Yes, let's do. Okay, Perfect. So our first question comes from Gina, and the subject is one meal. And she says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Love your podcast. Thank you for all the fantastic and useful information. I started IFing a few months ago and feel great. Your podcast keeps me inspired. I have heard you say that you eat within a five-hour window, but that you eat only one meal. What do you mean by one meal? Thanks, Gina. So, Jen... What do we mean by one meal? I think this is a really, really good question, and I get it all the time. (laughs) You know, I have that one, I have two Facebook groups. One of them is called One Meal a Day Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. And we just hit 20,000 members the other day, by the way, which is crazy because a a year ago in September, we had fewer than 1,500. So it's grown to over 20,000 in in a year. So that's, that's amazing. But, um, people often ask, you know, like, wait a minute, you know, how, what do you mean you have a five hour window? How can you have a five hour window and still be eating one meal? And I think people really get hung up on what we're labeling things. You know, if you asked people what a meal was, we know, we know how much a meal is versus a snack, you know, but one meal a day doesn't mean necessarily one event. You know, I'll, I'll open my window um, generally with a snack. And um, it's clearly not a meal because if you looked at it, you would know, hey, that is not a meal. It's not like a meal amount of food. And then um, a couple hours later, I'll have dinner. And then maybe a little later, you know, I'll sip on my glass of wine throughout the evening and then I'll have like a, a square of chocolate or a pickle or something something to close my window. So how many meals did I eat within that five-hour period? One. I had one meal. And if if I spread it all out in front of you, I mean, I could cram it into a shorter period of time, but that's not how I want to live my life. You know, I enjoy having that five-hour time. It feels enjoyable. It's my eating period of the day. And I just really eat intuitively within that window. And it's one meal, but it's not like crammed into a short time. I hope that makes sense because people, you know, it's the typical purists. They're like, well, you're eating one meal. It should be 20 minutes or 30 minutes or something. And 
I, I actually don't think that that's true. I don't want to impose a bunch of rules on this lifestyle. You know, one night I might only have a three-hour window, but another night I might actually have six. Probably most of the time it's four to six, four to five, five. I don't know. It just depends. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, you can kind of look at it as like a like when you go to a restaurant, if you had an expansive five-course meal where there's like lots of courses, but it's all one meal. Right. That's the way I kind of see it. Because like for me personally, um, my recent meat broth habit aside, I typically um, open my meal with munching on things like cucumbers and such and some wine while I do some writing. And then I have like my actual meal meal where like the meat comes in and the heavy food. And then I typically, my dessert is typically things like fruit and such. Then I spread it out over quite a few hours, but it is it's all one meal. The digestive process is basically going con- pretty consistently during that window. And so that's why I see it as like one meal. Yeah, I think just comparing it to a, you know, a meal at a fine restaurant is is a really great analogy for people to understand. You're you're not at that, you know, restaurant. They don't deliver all your courses at one time. You have all the different and if you're at a really fine restaurant, you know, the portions can be really small. Like you might have a little tiny amuse bouche or <laughs> that's like a little even smaller than like a little appetizer. And then and you know, a little salad course and a soup course. And they're all small portions, but it goes on, you know, for hours. Yeah, and I think also people sometimes get this idea with one meal that they need to cram it all in really fast. That, oh, it's one meal, so I have to eat all of it right now, even if I don't want to or even if it doesn't feel good. Right. And I think that's a problem. <laughs> like, well, I, I think so, too. <laughs> a lot of people will ask that. They say, well, I'll eat my one meal, and then I feel really bloated and sick afterwards. I'm like, well, that is not really what you want to do. You don't want to cram in so much that you feel sick, and that's your body telling you that you just ate too much. But, you know, truthfully, if you have a 20-minute window, are you going to eat enough for the day? Probably not. So I think it's better to think of it as a longer period of time instead of trying to artificially compress it to the point that it makes you feel bad. That's never a good sign. I agree. All right. All right. Hopefully that'll set it straight. Um, Are you ready for the next question? This is from Nicole, and the subject is not eating straight after exercising. And she says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I just came across your podcast yesterday, and I'm loving it. I have been doing IF for a month now and realize how easy it is to fast. I thought it would be super hard as I really struggled missing a meal, but I can go 16 to 20 hours fine. I'm actually enjoying it much more than I ever thought I would. My question is, I do CrossFit in the mornings at 7 a.m. I fast from 6 p.m. to any time between noon to 2 p.m. the following day. So I am not eating when I finish CrossFit, and I actually feel fine. I thought I would crash or die, but I'm okay. LOL. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's that's me. That's an aside there. But yes, just wondering what your thoughts are with this. Also, I find some days I can't stop eating, especially before my periods. Is this okay? Other days, my appetite is not as strong, so I am guessing it all balances out. Love listening to you both. Kind regards, Nicole. Well, hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for your question. My answer is pretty short. As far as is it okay to not eat directly after exercise, it's actually, in my opinion, totally fine. So the studies have shown that as far as protein assimilation goes, that as long as you get adequate protein within 24 hours, it 
you'll be fine. <laughs> you don't have to eat right away. Same with like if you're ingesting carbs, you can have those within, as long as it's all within 24 hours, you should be fine. And if you're feeling fine, I think it's all fine. If you do start finding that you become hungry earlier, that's when I think you'd want to adjust. But the way I see it is um, why fix what's not broken at the moment. And then as far as can't stop eating, no, I think that's also fine. Our appetites definitely naturally fluctuate, and I think you should listen to your body's cues. And if you're hungrier, you should eat more. If you're not as hungry, you should eat less. Of course, my inner paleoness is going to come out, so I do encourage you to hopefully eat healthy foods for those cravings. I know it's really tempting to turn to snacks and such, especially when it's before your menstrual cycles, and you're like, oh, I deserve the candy and the chocolate, <laughs> which which maybe you do, but um, I would still encourage you to try to make as helpful choices as possible. But yeah, I think what you're doing is great. How about you, Jen? Yes, I agree with that completely. And we've talked about that protein requirement before, as you said. So, But it still comes up a lot because I think that people are still hearing the, you know, you must eat before. They have something called a pre-workout and a post-workout. And, you know, if they're trying to sell you something, that's always a good sign that you may not really need it. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, about the, the cravings that you said, hormonally driven with women, it is so true. You know, I... um. I often find like if I'm suddenly like eyeing brownies and I'm like at the store wandering around looking at the chocolate cake, I'm always like, man, I want to eat that cake. And then like it'll it's it's PMS and I don't even realize it until like the next day. And I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so it is totally normal, um, ladies, that you'll find you, you might have a day when you're like, why can't I stop eating? And you're just eating and eating and eating and you don't even realize your cycle is, is about to start. And then there it is. Sorry, guys, you have to listen to this. But, you know, if, if you've been around women for any length of time, you've already heard it. So <laughs> especially if you're like, you know, married or have a living or even a girlfriend or even just girlfriends, they probably keep you posted with it. So, um, yeah, you just have to roll with that. And then it only happens, you know, and then it's over. And then for the next month, you could just wait for it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's always my signal, though. You know, I mean, I'm, I really start to eye that chocolate cake. So, and then I'm always surprised. Yeah. <laughs> trying to think what it would be for me. It would be anything made by Pillsbury. Oh. And see, I don't really ever <sighs> eat cake. I don't ever. But, but honestly, if I find myself, like, going over to the bakery, I'm like, well, there you go. I'm more of yep. a, this makes me sound very bland, but I'm more of a vanilla person. I've never been a chocolate craver. Mm ever. And I still haven't. I'm waiting for that moment to come where I'm like, must have chocolate. And it it just doesn't come. <laughs> I'm not really like that either. Like I just threw away a ton of chocolate that I had gotten for, let's see, what is it? Um, it's by the time everybody hears this, it'll be September, but it's August now really. But <laughs> I just threw away a bunch of Valentine candy or maybe even Christmas candy that I had up in my closet that because kids give me you know candy at the holidays as a teacher and so I stow it away for when I have those cravings when you just really need like a piece of chocolate every night it's not frequently but it had been sitting there so long and then I tried a piece of it and it was like not a good quality chocolate and I was like this is disgusting and I just threw it all away and so I find that now I like better quality candy if I'm gonna have a piece it's gonna be some really good chocolate not just some mass produced you know valentine's day blah <laughs> all righty so shall we go to our next question yes so this question comes from sarah 
and her subject is cheat days. And Sarah says, hello, ladies. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. Do you have cheat days once a week or so? If you do, what does that look like? In the one meal a day world, it is common and deemed important to do so once a week. I would appreciate your input. Thank you, Sarah. All right. I have lots to say about Me this one. Me too. So many things. So many <laughs> yeah, things. so many things. First of all, um, I, I want to say where I think this is coming from. And there's there's a YouTube guy, and he's awesome, and he's gotten a lot of people interested in one meal a day. He calls it OMAD, which is funny because I never say it like that. But some people do. But I don't ever say OMAD. Do you ever say that, Melanie? No, I just say one meal a day. <laughs> but you people abbreviate it OMAD. But um, this guy is awesome. But he has lots of very strict rules, which I think is where the the people come into my Facebook group. Then thinking that we have all these rules about, you know, because his rules are like eat one plate, eat it within a short period of time, don't pile it too high, eat it, and then you're moving on. And then once a day, he asks you to have a cheat day. So I really think that this is where. Um, the concept comes from, and he's a great guy. He's done so well with it, and I am not saying anything against him because he's he's very motivating for people, and he gets a lot of people interested in intermittent fasting. But I promote more of, like I said earlier, an intuitive approach where I would never schedule a cheat day once a week, but if I have a day where I'm hungrier, I eat more. Or if I have a special occasion, like let's say you know, my family is going to get together for brunch to celebrate something, I'm going to eat at that brunch. I'm not saying, oh, it's a cheat day. No, I'm planning to have that. I call it a planned indulgence. Um, I actually talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. The word cheat is very negative, in my opinion. It implies that you're doing something wrong. I mean, you cheat on your spouse. You cheat on a test. You you cheat on your taxes. You can't cheat on a lifestyle. So you want to make it so that you're following your hunger cues you know, the point of, of scheduling a, quote, cheat day is if you're doing constant calorie restriction to the point that you're eating in a very short window or counting calories or having very, very low intake, then you might need that cheat day to boost your metabolism. That's the philosophy behind it. But if you're listening to your body and you're not being so restrictive and strict about, you know, I'm going to have a 20-minute window or I'm going to eat one plate of food only, you don't need to schedule any kind of you know, higher eating days. You just listen to your body and do what feels right to you. What do you think, Melanie? I agree. You hit the points exactly that I was going to make. Um, I don't think that it should be a written part of your protocol. I do think, like you said, intermittent fasting should be very intuitive and you should be eating naturally to your, your cravings and um, what you're desiring as far as food intake. And I was going to say the exact same thing about cheating that the terminology, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. It, it. it brings with it like right. a sense of guilt as well. So you're going to automatically, if you cheated, then you feel like you're going to automatically feel bad afterwards, I think, which is never anything that we want. I don't think eating should ever be wrong. Right. I agree. And just, you know, it's, it's very subtle, but words are important. You know, pl- have a planned indulgence day or a planned deviation, but don't call it a cheat because you're You're mentally, you just can't separate that mental baggage from the word cheat. I mean, I've never heard cheating as a good thing ever. Congratulations, you cheated. No. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I will actually say, though, so when I first started intermittent fasting and I was low carb but not paleo, which is where you eat primarily or all whole foods, I did have cheat days or I did have cheat meals. And 
it never made me feel good and it felt like something wrong and I, I didn't really like it. Um, but now that I eat all whole foods, um, I don't feel the need to cheat as more. I think a lot of times the need to cheat, if it's an intense craving, can make you think, what are you actually missing from your diet that's making you crave something? Are you not getting enough calories? Are, is there certain nutrients that you're missing? Um, so I think that can be pretty telling as well. So now if I do, quote, cheat, which I don't think of it as cheating, um, <laughs> it, that would manifest for me personally as um, – making like paleo friendly baked goods and such because I try to stay away from things that tend to instigate cravings or tie directly into our, our pleasure signals in our head. So I might make though like paleo friendly baked goods or something like that. That would be quote a cheat, but it's not really a Because you chose it. You decided to do it. And so it's never cheating if you plan it and decide it and acknowledge that you're doing it or you know, just, I would like to just eliminate that word. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for the next one? All right. This is from Alex and the subject is if it fits your macros, Alex says, hello, I have been intermittently fasting for nearly a year now and it gets easier every day. I am always interested in the latest science and ideas on eating. I have seen a diet called quote, if it fits your macros. People also abbreviate that by the way. Um, this is just Jen speaking as, I-I-F-Y-M, you'll see people talk about that, and that's what it is, which simply says eating a certain ratio of fats, carbohydrates, and protein is all you need to maintain a healthy weight. With all your knowledge on ways of eating, what are your thoughts on this approach? And that is the if it fits your macros approach. Okie dokie. Hi, Alex. So I actually just came across, if it, I wasn't familiar with it until mm, maybe a few months ago. I came across it and I was like, oh, this is a thing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I actually, when I got your question, I went onto the official If It Fits Your Macros website and I filled out all the stuff to figure out what my personal If It Fits Your Macros protocol would be. And so like Alex said, it basically regulates very strict um, guidelines for the exact amount of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins that you eat. So like I did it for me and it said that I needed – certain amount of protein, certain amount of fat, certain amount of carbs. And it's a, um, basically addresses your, the recommended protein levels. And then it tends to be lower fat, higher carbs, and then it recommends fiber as well. So my thoughts on it. Um, I think I have good and bad. <laughs> I think there's good and bad. The good about it, it does provide a sense of control, which is also going to be a bad thing that I'm going to talk about. But if you're a control freak and you want to know, if you want to feel assured that you're getting what you need, I think it could be good for that. It's also probably going to ensure, I can't guarantee this, but it will probably ensure weight loss just from the calorie counting perspective because it is going to keep you from um, over consuming calories. And then of course it's addressing your protein and fat needs, although it does, it is lower on the fat side. Um, as far as the bad goes, back to the control thing, I think, I don't know that it's best to be so, um, restrictive and so aware of the exact amount of fat, 
carbs and proteins that you're consuming. I think we should be like we just talked about throughout this podcast and throughout all of our podcasts, pretty intuitive with eating. And I think it kind of takes that away from you. And then also you can eat whatever you want on if it fits your macros, which true with intermittent fasting, you can technically eat whatever you want. Um, But I do think in general, that's a problem because not addressing what you're eating you could still be eating foods that create inflammation or create health problems for you personally. So I think that's a, um, that's a potential problem. All right. Well, for me, it's just, I'm not going to say no one should ever do this. Okay. Because, you know, maybe someone loves to do this and it gives them a great feeling of control and makes them happy. I'm going to speak to it for how Jen Stevens feels about it. And that is like 0% chance I ever want to do this because I mean, even when, you know, I've counted certain things before, when I counted calories, when I counted fat grams in the nineties, when I counted carbs and I was trying to do that, it makes me hyper-focused on what I'm eating. And then I feel like I have to, you know, Oh, I've had this many, what I, I don't know. I don't, I don't enjoy um, having to micromanage what I'm eating in that way. Also, it doesn't match the way that I want to cook, the way I want to buy food, the way I want to look at my food. You know, I'll be making I'll be making dinner for my family, and I'll taste it, and I'll say, oh, it needs more butter, and I'll throw it in, and I don't want to have to stop and calculate that. Or I don't want to have to say, oh, I'm low on protein. What should I eat now just to fill in that, you know, what I need to have for the day? Um, it's way more thinking about food in a way that I don't think – food is meant to be thought of. I mean, people, we're, we're making it so complicated. Um, I, I don't want my food to be this complicated. I want to eat food that is delicious, that makes me feel good, that makes me happy. I want to eat food that is nutritious. And I want to think of it as, you know, I'm eating fruits and vegetables. I'm eating meat. I'm eating fats and I'm enjoying it in whatever ratio that tastes good. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to, not going to recommend that someone start start following this approach. Again, like I said, though, if you love it, if it makes you happy to count in this way then and it's working for you, then I say go for it. But personally, I just can't even imagine it. Really, it would make me insane. I would be insane. I agree yeah. completely. I've also found – so I don't count calories. I don't really count anything. Um, but occasionally I will in retrospect, after I eat, I'll go into fit day out of curiosity and I'll put in everything that I ate to see what it came out to be. And it's really interesting because I do find that I naturally create pretty similar ratios of like carbs, fats, and proteins. And I don't mean to, um, but every time I check it, it's all, it ends up being about the same amount of calories typically and about the same ratio. I'm like, oh, see, and I didn't even... Try to do that. I bet that would be the same for me too. And just, you just know, like, like you'll crave something. Like I'll be at the end of, of my window. I'm like, you know, tonight I really need a piece of cheese. Maybe I didn't have as much <laughs> fat that night, you know, or whatever. Or, you know, t- today I need a pickle. Or I really would like, like last night at the end of my window, I had blackberries and kefir or kefir. I still don't know how to say it. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I looked it up and then I forgot. But, um, I, I, the blackberries in kefir, I'm just going to say kefir, but the blackberries in the kefir was what I felt like having at the end of my window. So I, I must've needed that for some reason. So I just really believe in, in keeping it simple and choosing healthy foods and not trying to overthink it because that's not what food is meant to be for us. I agree. All right. (laughs) All right. (laughs)
So our next question comes from Laura and the subject is healing. And she says, thank you for this podcast. I look forward to the next new episode each week. Only found you guys recently, so I had to binge listen to all previous episodes. My question is about healing and eventual drop of weight and inches. I'm using IF now more regularly within the last few weeks, switching it up between one meal a day, four to five hour window, and 16-8. So 16-8 would be she fasts for 16 hours and eats for eight hours. I have not been diagnosed with any health ailments, but I'm sure my body was not as healthy as it could be. I'm a frequent gym goer and have changed the types of foods I eat to healthier versions. Not interested in sustaining a low-carb diet as I, as I love my fruit too much. Still love to eat pizza, Doritos, and sweets regularly as well. With no weight loss during these few weeks, I'm hoping that my body is healing itself and that will take a priority. I know everyone's body and health needs are different, but my question is, how long can I expect it to take to see some weight loss? In my eyes, I really only have about 20 pounds, give or take, to lose. I used to be obsessed with the scale to the point of weighing myself multiple times daily. I've made the choice to not focus on the number and no longer weigh myself so frequently. Yay for you, that's me talking. (laughs) I do measure myself and have noticed a small change in my measurements, but nothing to warrant a celebration. Any insight would help knowing everyone is different. So what are your thoughts, Jen? All right, let's see. There's a lot going on here, but um, yes, I want to talk about several things. Um, First of all, at the very end, she talked about changes in her measurements. And I want to go back to the fact that she talks about that she's a frequent gym goer. And so we see this a lot with people who are, um, they work out a lot and they also do intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is great for muscle building. You know, we have increased growth hormones, um, our growth hormone, and our body gets much better at building muscle. So people will see frequently see that they don't change anything on the scale. Their their weight is not going down, but they're getting smaller. And of course, that's body recomposition. I don't know completely that's what's happening, but since you said your measurements have changed a little bit, keep your eye on that. So if you're adding muscle, the scale is not going to be the most accurate measure of of your progress. Now, back to something else you mentioned. You're doing um four to five hour window interspersed with an eight hour window. And I have to be honest for me, an eight hour window was not enough for weight loss. And so I I think that if you would consistently stick to the four or five hour window, you may suddenly start to see some more results. That's just something, something to tweak right there. Um, You said you only have about 20 pounds to lose. And another thing about that is of course you may lose more slowly because you're closer to your goal weight. Um, just keep that in mind as well. Now, I know you said that you are switching foods to healthier versions and you still love to eat pizza, Doritos, and sweets. I'm, I'm going to confess I had Doritos this week. so <laughs> And I have sweets, you know, very, very frequently and I'll have pizza. You know, I'm, of course, I'll, I'm usually making homemade pizza with my um, at dinner at home, but I don't want to eat out pizza anymore. <laughs> I like mine better. But, um, of course, you can eliminate some of those more processed foods and, and find that that may help you um, get to your goals more quickly. So just a few things you could tweak. Like I said, window length, keep that more consistent and continue with the um, with the measuring. I think that, that may be your best bet. Now, as far as if you are going to weigh, people misunderstand my um, 
my recommendations on weighing to think that I think that you should never, ever, ever, ever weigh. And I'm really in two camps, either never weigh ever, 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 or literally weigh every day and then track the, the moving trend or average. It's that the, when you weigh yourself infrequently that you really could have the most misleading weight results because, you know, women, our weights fluctuate naturally. You know, my weight could fluctuate five pounds during my cycle. That's very typical. So what if the last time I weighed, I was at a low point and then three weeks later I weigh and I'm at a high point and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've gained five pounds. No, I haven't. That's part of my natural fluctuation. So if you, if you're going to weigh ever, I really recommend that you either use an app like Happy Scale that actually calculates a moving average for you, and then you can see what your trend is doing, or you know do it the old school way and once a week find the average of your weights. You know we don't want to be obsessed with the scale and what the weights are doing, but if you're trying to lose weight, I can see that you would want to be able to measure your progress because that is how you know what to tweak. You know if you're not if you're not measuring your progress, you don't necessarily know if it's working, especially, if, you know, I've got clothes that can have some stretch in them. So you don't know if your clothes even feel like they're fitting differently. So I'm not completely anti-weighing. I'm, I'm anti being obsessed with it. You know, I don't think you should weigh yourself multiple times a day. That's not going to be productive. You get on there in the morning, take that measurement and then move on about your day and don't let it ruin your day. If you're the type of person though, that gets hung up on it, that's when you need to throw out the scale completely. Um, so those are my thoughts. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I love everything that you said, Jen, um, as far as the scale. What I haven't heard of Happy Scale. Yeah, it's an app, and it, it just it calculates – it shows – it has a graph, and it calculates what your, your trend is. Like it shows your dot for the day, but then it shows your trend over time. It's called your moving average. And actually, my son's app – um, window, which is the intermittent fasting tracker he made for me, available only for iPhone. He's adding that to the to the app. He's working on it, oh, cool. so it'll have um, your moving average. Awesome. Well, we'll put links to those apps in the show notes. If you go to ifpodcast.com/episode twenty one, we'll put links to all of those apps. Um, but anyway, as far as the question goes, Laura. First of all, I just want to applaud you on focusing on healing and everything. I think that's so great and so amazing. I'm actually, I actually think if you're going to focus slightly different from Jen and that if you're going to focus on changing one thing, I'm actually okay with you doing the different um, intermittent fasting windows. Although I do think, I do agree with Jen that if you making it stricter is probably going to result in more weight loss. Um, but I would actually, you probably see this coming. Jen. Oh, I know. I know what you're going to say. Oh. <laughs> see, one of us on this podcast did not eat Doritos this week. <laughs> and it was Melanie. <laughs> oh, and if, okay. If, if this was, if this question was just about weight loss, I would not bring this, I would yeah. not bring this up. But because Laura, you're focusing on healing specifically, I hardcore advocate you to just consider try going a little bit without the pizza, Doritos and sweets. Just because you say it's regularly, not, you know, occasionally. <laughs> and if healing is really your focus, which is awesome, and I'm so down with that, um, I just think that what we eat is the main thing when it comes to healing. Because if we're reacting to certain foods, it's really hard to get around that if that food is automatically creating inflammation and problems for us personally. Maybe it's not for you, but it quite possibly is. So I would just encourage you, if you're down, to maybe try like a week. 
where we don't have and you say you love fruit so you can totally eat fruit like eat all the fruit yeah those are my thoughts no, I agree. Those are easy changes to make. And um, I talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. There was a period of time when I was approaching my goal weight, my initial goal weight. And I um, I read a book that I really enjoyed called The Science of Skinny. And it talks, I, I mentioned this in Delay, Don't Deny as well. And it talks about eliminating the processed foods. And so I really did that for um, for a good good amount of time. And my weight loss did pick up when I eliminated the, the overly processed foods. And I was eating... Um, you know, a lot of potatoes with butter and sour cream and beans and rice with also lots of sour cream, lots of berries and heavy cream. But I was eating real foods only. And I mean, it, it, it you have to make the effort to do that because so many things are processed. And um, it, it did take a little extra work on my behalf, but I felt great. And I lost the weight more quickly. I was losing about two pounds a week at that point, which was more than, I mean, and this is the very last, you know, bit of weight I had to lose. And I was not counting calories. I was not overly restricting. I ate until I was full every night. So I do believe that cleaning up the food quality will make a difference um, in the weight loss. I agree. (laughs) But, you know, there's room for some Doritos and maintenance, right? (laughs) For me, maybe, maybe. Okay. All right. Um, actually, so can I throw in a curveball question? Please do. Every now and then, when there's a, if we're already talking about a topic, I will remember that we have a question that kind of relates, and I like to uh, we can tackle that. Might as well kill two birds with one stone. So, curveball question time. And this question comes from Emily. And Emily, you're the lucky winner. We weren't going to read your question today, but now we are. <laughs> and she says, or her subject is weight fluctuations. And she says, hi, ladies. I love, love, love the podcast. I've had great results with IF. I'm down 100 pounds. Wow. Wow. One hundred. Congratulations, <laughs> Emily. I know. Since February 2016. I follow 16.8 to 20. Four. So she um, sometimes she does 16-8, sometimes she does 24, depending on the day. My question is, I've noticed when I have a cheat day due to a special event or vacation, etc. I didn't even think about the cheat day thing, but that came up too. My weight can fluctuate up to seven pounds in one day. I also lose it within three to four days. Is it all water weight? Why does weight seem to fluctuate so quickly with an IF lifestyle? So yeah, since we're talking about it, Oh, I can I can definitely address this one because um, back when I used to weigh, I one time on a girls' weekend, I weighed myself on a Friday morning and I you know had a certain weight. Let's just say I don't even remember. Let's say I weighed 130. I'm just gonna make that up. But I went. I left on the on the girls' weekend. Went out of town, and um, when I got back and weighed myself Monday morning, I had gained nine pounds. <laughs> I think that may have actually been my weight. I may have weighed 130 and I went up to 139. I think that was true. This is back in, it was right after I hit goal. So it was probably in 2015, I think it was. So, um, yes, it was like, oh my gosh, I gained nine pounds over a weekend. Did I really gain nine pounds? No, I did not. My weight obviously went way up. And then I just went right back on my intermittent fasting lifestyle and the weight was gone by the next weekend. So the way that this happens is your body retains a lot of water along with the increased volume of food. And when we're doing intermittent fasting, you know, we don't have as much food inside of our systems as we used to when we ate 
you know, three meals a day plus snacks, plus, you know, whatever you're doing on a vacation or on those indulgent days. So you've got all the, like, like imagine all the food that you ate that was more than you used to eat and then pile it all up. You know, there's some of the weight right there. It's inside of your system. And all of that food comes with water too that, that your body is using to process that food in your digestive tract. So once that food works its way out of you, the water goes as well. So um, you'll get back to normal. So, you know, that was when I vowed I would never weigh again after a um, <laughs> after an indulgent trip like that or something because it just freaks you out. And you think, oh, my gosh, I've gained nine pounds. How is this possible? And, of course, it isn't. And And the reason we see it more on the intermittent fasting lifestyle is because we generally do have less food in our system day to day. So the difference is more striking. I think, especially if we're fasting during the day, we naturally, we lose some of that water. So then when we eat at night again and we it all comes right. in, we can gain so much more in the morning. Now I'm super curious. I'm going to do some research on, I wonder if there's like studies about how much water weight a person can gain. I mean, people do gain a lot of, uh, they do have a, people that have edema and other types of medical conditions that cause a lot of water retention. I mean, their weight can fluctuate like 20 pounds, just like, like crazy. And it's just like, they'll, they'll gain, they'll swell, their ankles will swell. I actually noticed that on the cruise, I looked down at my feet and my ankles were swollen on the last day. My body was just like holding on to that water. And, um, of course, if, for anyone who's ever been pregnant, <laughs> that goes along with that too. Like when I was pregnant with my second child, I was retaining so much water. I was like, whose feet are those? <laughs> Our bodies do, do lots of things with fluid. This is true. And I know it's no fun, but it's actually sort of reassuring because it also shows that another reason that we shouldn't trust the scale. Right. Because clearly you did not gain nine pounds of that. No, and it was gone by the following weekend. And, and so, you know, and my clothes still fit. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that made me feel better. And, and it's a good story to, to tell people because they, they're like, oh, okay. That's not real. I didn't really gain all that weight. All right. Are we ready for the next question? Yes. Yes. And this is, I'm going to say coo. It's K-U. So coo, if that's not right, I'm sorry. And the question subject is fasting on breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And coo says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I am a listener from Taiwan which I love so much, by the way. I love that you're listening in Taiwan. Awesome. <laughs> I enjoy your podcast. I learn a lot of information. I try intermittent fasting for nearly a month and feel great. Here's my question. Is it okay to do fasting on dinner? Um, I sleep better with an empty stomach. And and Ku says, sorry for bad English, but Ku, I think your English is amazing. And you did a great job. So hi, Ku. Super short answer. It's completely fine. <laughs> do what works for you. Um, intermittent fasting. I know we're one meal a day. Most of us do do that where we eat at dinner, but you can do what works for you. And if you sleep better on an empty stomach and would like to have an earlier eating window, completely fine. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> How about you, Jen? Periodically in the, the intermittent fasting group, someone will toss out an article or a blog post or a, something from a journal that suggests that an e earlier in the day eating window may benefit us metabolically or somehow fit in with our circadian rhythms better. Or perhaps one certain fasting expert recommends that you never eat when the sun is 
goes down. I mean, I've, I've read that before. And so some people say that it's better for us. And I'm, I'm saying better in quotation marks. I'm not saying that definitively, but some people say it's better to have an earlier in the day window, possibly metabolically, possibly related, like I said, to our circadian rhythms. That being said, for me, an earlier in the eating, in the day eating window doesn't work because I end up extending my window 8, 10, 12 hours. And so that is not a lifestyle that works for me. But there are some people who that works beautifully for them. So there may be benefits to having an early window, an earlier in the day window. And if you can make that work and it feels right to you, then absolutely don't feel like an evening window is necessarily best or even required because, as I said, there may be some benefits to the earlier in the day eating window. If that's what feels right to you, you should do that. But if not, I also don't worry about those recommendations. And usually we have to reassure people because they're like, oh, my gosh, does this mean I should have breakfast as my meal? Well, not if that doesn't work for you. You should not because I don't think the benefits are going to make or break the lifestyle. So if you don't feel well going to bed on a full stomach, then eat earlier. If you do feel great going to bed on an empty, on, I mean, on a full stomach, then that's what you should do. It needs to be what feels right to you. And, um, you know, an expert could recommend many, many things, but it's your body and you know how you feel when you're doing it. I'm glad you brought up the circadian rhythms and the stuff. It's interesting because I... I've literally seen completely opposite, quote, scientific reasonings for both approaches as far as earlier eating versus late eating. I've seen, oh, historically and our natural rhythms support eating earlier in the day. And then I've seen the complete opposite, which says, nope, (laughs) our natural rhythms support eating at night. So, yeah. Yeah, I've seen both too. But people people get all worked up about it. And one new book that's out that, that... promotes intermittent fasting that I read over the summer, he, he's very, very firm that you should never, never eat later in the day, that that's like bad for your mitochondria and damages you. And I, I don't think that's true at all. So that it's going to keep coming up as long as people read that recommendation to never eat later. People are going to keep asking that. But really, it's what works for you as far as like living it as a lifestyle. I know for myself, if I eat lunch then then I'm going to just be starving later and it's miserable. I could force myself to not eat dinner after eating lunch, but I don't I'm not happy and it doesn't feel like a lifestyle. It feels like I'm restricting myself. So I mean if I felt bad eating dinner, I wouldn't eat dinner. That's pretty much you know, my advice is what feels good to your body, do that. I think that's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we have people in the groups that eat breakfast and that's how they feel best. And they don't get hungry the rest of the day. They eat breakfast. That's their meal. They they go about their day. And I say, go for it if that's what you like. And we have people who eat lunch. And we have people who eat at 2 o'clock. And really, they're just there's no one best universal way. And, you know, even when we talk about circadian rhythms, those vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've read about people who have them completely flip-flopped. And so they, like, have a hard time going to sleep at night. Have you read about that at all? Yeah, I have. It's called a, I think it's called like flip circadian rhythm or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> but we, we can't assume that everyone has the, an identical, you know, any kind of anything where our bodies are so different. Yeah. Find what works for you. Yeah. 
All right, so our next question comes from Gloria and her subject is shifting IF strategy. And Gloria says, hello ladies. Thank you so much for the excellent podcast. I've been listening regularly and I always come away having learned something new. My question is about a possible shift in my IF strategy. I've been doing IF since April of 2017 with success. I have lost a total of 30 pounds and feel great. However, the last couple of weeks have proven a bit more challenging. I'm feeling hungry toward the end of the day. I fast for 42 hours, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I break my fast with a noon meal and at dinner time, I have a meal. My feeding days are Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. I took this fasting schedule from Dr. Jason Fung's book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. The last couple of weeks, I have experienced uncomfortable levels of hunger, the kind that makes me think of food and eating. I am interpreting this hunger as a natural signal to eat. I generally follow a low-carb, keto-style lifestyle, and so when I eat, I stay within those parameters. I have had to eat and break the fast after approximately 24 hours of clean fasting, with just water, coffee, and tea, a few times in the last couple of weeks. I guess I don't feel physically bad after breaking the fast around 24 hours, but I do feel a bit let down because I couldn't make it to the following day's lunch meal. I still have 20 more pounds to lose, and I was wondering if you could comment on how shifting from 42 hours of fasting three times a week to 24 hours daily fasting may affect my rate of weight loss. I prefer not to slow down too much. Can it possibly quell my hunger? Any thoughts? Is my uncomfortable hunger a true signal from my body? Is it possible I need a change in my IF strategy? Thank you so much in advance. I look forward to hearing your comments, Gloria. What are your thoughts, Jen? I have a lot of them. I'm just taking notes and writing a bunch of stuff down, so I hope I get it all in. Um, what Gloria is following is an um, intermittent fasting strategy called 4-3, where she has three full fasts a week, and really it's based on 5-2, which is another intermittent fasting strategy, which originally, I think we've talked about it before, I know we have, where you would have two days of 500 calories and then five of eating normally, and then 4-3 comes from that, but then many people do full fasts instead of, you know, the 500 calorie fasting day. So it sounds like that's what Gloria is doing. She's doing three full 42-hour fasts a week, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then eating, quote, normally on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Gloria, I can speak to this 100% from my own experience because after I read The Obesity Code, which was Dr. Fung's first book, he... um talks about this pattern, this this alternate day pattern in the appendix as his recommended plan. So after reading that, I remember thinking, oh, he recommends this alternate day pattern over a daily pattern. I'm going to switch to that. And I did. And so I had been doing um, the daily eating window. And after reading the obesity code, I went to a 4-3 pattern. And I was doing three full fasts a week, just like you. And at first, it it felt good to me. And then, just like you said, it started to feel overly restrictive. I started to get this uncomfortable sense of hunger. It stopped feeling like it was working for me. So I did that probably from May. I'm thinking it was twenty. It was 2016. I was already at my goal weight. But I had regained a little. I talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. And this is, bef- it was when I also gave up Stevia. 
Um, so I think there was some, I wasn't doing clean fasting until I read the obesity code. So I had regained about seven or eight pounds that I needed to lose, which has never happened to me again since I, um, started doing clean fasting, by the way, I've never had any trouble with weight regain, but because I needed to relose those few pounds and I gave up the stevia, I went to four, three and I did that from March of 2016 until probably the end of May, maybe mid-May of 2016. And it made me start feeling crazy. And like, <laughs> like I became obsessed. I mean, really, I know that sounds, that sounds uh, bizarre, but it felt, I was like obsessed with food. On the fasting days, I was dreading those days. I started thinking about food, 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 food. And then on the eating days, I was like, can I eat now? Is it time to eat? Is it time to eat? And I don't like the way I felt. And so that was when I went back to the five-hour window approach. And I haven't looked back. And that has been ever since May of 20, um, 2016, I've been doing the one meal a day within the about five-hour window, just nonstop. And I felt so much better right away. And I was clean fasting at that time and doing the um, the daily window of five hours or less. And then everything just got – it really just – I fell into the groove and then I could never imagine going back to five two or four three just because of the way that I felt at that time. So um, yes, yes, I do think you may need to consider changing your IF strategy. Now you mentioned something that is kind of like like funny to me, and it's not funny because of you because this is something that people say all the time. People say they do daily twenty four hour fasts, and and they don't because actually if you did a daily twenty four hour fast every day, your starting time would be different. Because you would start when you stopped the day before. I've thought about that so many times. <laughs> now, really, that people say this all the time. They say they're doing 24-hour daily fasts, and they're not. Because, And I even think Dr. Fung, Dr. Fung says it. <laughs> I think he may say it in, um, in The Complete Guide to Fasting. I think he calls it a 24-hour fasting pattern, but it isn't. Um, like if you eat dinner every day at 5 p.m., even if you eat for 30 minutes, your fast is is not 24 hours. Yeah, you'd have to eat for like 30 seconds. And even then your fast is 23 hours, 59 <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds, right? So, um, you know, that's just a little thing that I think is funny because people say it all the time. We actually were debating this in the um, in my Delay Don't Deny Facebook group yesterday. Someone was like, how do you calculate it? What is, you know, what is a 24-hour fast? And we all agreed that that is not really a 24-hour fast. But if one day you stop eating at 8 p.m. and the next day you don't eat until literally 8 p.m. the next day, you did just do a 24-hour fast. But if every day you eat at 5 p.m. every single day, you have a 23-hour fast. So that's just a little terminology that I wanted to throw out. So I, I really wouldn't say to feel like you have to go straight to – 23-hour fasts day after day with a one-hour window. We talked about this earlier in today's episode. Don't feel like you have to restrict it to quite such a tight eating window. You can still be one meal a day within a, a five-hour window or four-hour window or whatever feels right to you. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I agree completely. I think, Glory, I'd recommend that you probably stop with the 42 hours. Um, I don't like the idea of of feeling hungry and feeling like you can't do it and feeling like you're failing. I don't think that that's very sustainable or a good way to be with the whole intermittent fasting thing. So I definitely encourage you to try the quote 24 hour <laughs> um, approach. I think that actually you'll probably see more weight loss with that. I don't know for sure, but I actually think that you will. 
I felt immediately better when I switched to the daily eating window. And I had done both before, but after having such long fasts and doing the 4-3, it just, my body was like, stop doing this. And I do think extreme hunger is always, always a sign that you're over-restricting in some way. And you absolutely can over-fast. I know people say you can't. I think you can. And I also will add... Something she pointed out, she says is that she generally follows a low-carb keto lifestyle and she stays within those parameters. Um, she doesn't mention if she's like craving certain foods or if that's – she doesn't really talk about – I don't know how long she's been doing that. Um, but that's something else you could try. You could try not being as low-carb or not being keto and see how that affects things. You could try adding in some more – healthy carbs such as fruit or starches or such and see if that helps as well but um yeah I think I think there's a lot of potential in changing things yeah I agree all right do we have time for another question we can throw in I yeah one last question one last question okay and this is from Ray and the subject is green tea versus matcha is that how you say it matcha I think so I think I don't know how else you would say it I don't know either. Matcha. I don't know. I'm a. I'm living in Georgia. Matcha. That sounded. Now Matcha. that I said it like that, it sounds totally wrong. But also, how we probably do say it in Georgia. So we probably do say matcha in Georgia. So I'm gonna say matcha because that sounds <laughs> like the non-southern way. Okay. Hi, ladies. Loving the show. Quick question. We know green tea is considered fasting clean, but what about matcha? Since it is now, I can only say matcha in my head. <laughs> Sorry. No, never going to be able to say it again. I won't. It is technically the tea leaves ground into a fine powder. My initial reaction is that it will start the digestive process since you ingest the leaf itself. Please let me know your thoughts as I would love the health benefits but don't want to break my fast and I eat late and cannot have caffeine once I break my fast. That is, if I ever have hopes of sleeping. Thanks, ladies. Do you ever have, Jen, that mind-blown moment when you realize that all tea is is the same? Like green tea, black tea, oolong tea all come from the same tea leaf? No, I didn't even know that. (laughs) I don't drink tea. Yeah, audience, because this blew my mind when I figured this out. There's not green tea leaves and black tea leaves and oolong tea leaves. It has to do with how long they ferment the tea. And that oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so like green tea is not. Um, it's fermented. like young tea. It's either like not fermented at all, or I think it's not fermented at all. I'm not sure. I didn't know that any tea was fermented. I didn't. I mean, black you tea is fermented. What? I didn't know tea was yeah. fermented. Oh mm-hmm. well, now I just learned something. But as far as matcha tea goes, so well, first of all, what is matcha tea? Um, so it's a type of tea where rather than steeping the tea leaves and only maintaining the water soluble parts so basically like nothing physical really it's the uh, the compounds uh, dissolved in a way in the water matcha tea they actually retain parts of the actual leaves so like the water insoluble parts and because of that and i'll put links to the show notes but apparently there's a lot more health benefits to matcha tea because it does maintain the actual leaf that has a lot of antioxidant properties and catechins and all of the stuff and in general green tea is pretty epic for fat burning so um and matcha tea seems to be as well so as for your question though does it break the fast um i actually have never had matcha tea have you jen 
I have not. I'm not a tea drinker. I just don't like tea. I probably should have had some as an experiment research for this podcast. Um, so I don't know the ex- like how viscous it is or how much actual fiber is in there, but I do know there is fiber in there. So I would just say I would be hesitant. I think if you can drink it and you don't get hungry afterwards and you're still seeing benefits, then it's probably okay. Um, but if you are drinking it and you're finding that it makes you hungry or you just feel like the digestive process is starting, then I would be more wary. In, in general, I would err on the side of going the green tea route rather than, than the matcha, but it's it's really hard to say. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think I think that, that you answered that very well. I don't know the answer to that either. Um, but I do have a blog post that might help, and it's on jenstevens.com. And the blog post is called, Can I Have Blank While Fasting? Because we get a million questions. You know, Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have the other? And many things are um, in what we would call the gray area. Like lemon is an example of that, that it bothers some people and not others. So my recommendation is whenever you have something you question like this, Fast without it for at least two weeks until you know how your body feels in the fasted state. And then add it back. You will know if this is a problem for you after that. So you have to know what it feels to fast clean in order to know if something is not working for you. Otherwise, you just will never know. Um, you know, we had a someone in the Facebook group earlier this week who was talking about how she's just getting hungrier and hungrier and more and more hungry every single day the longer she lives the lifestyle and we said well what are you drinking and she was putting water or she's putting lemon in her water and many people said hey that makes me hungrier so she cut it out and then she was like hey it's easier for me to fast now that I took the lemon out whereas other people have lemon and they have no problem from it so it's all about what your brain is perceiving and what's going on in your body so um try it without it for a couple weeks stick to the you know the regular green tea and then try back adding back the matcha and see um, if you notice a change. You'll know. You'll know right away if it's a problem for you. Yeah. And I will say it does – it definitely has fiber in it though. Mm-hmm. So that is something that makes me a little nervous. Right. Like one, I'll, read, well, I'll read one of the concluding sentences from one of the studies I read on it, which talks about the, uh, the benefits. But it said at the very end, they said, in our opinion – Matcha not only has the health benefits of normal green tea, but also takes advantage of the water-insoluble nutrients, including fibers of tea. So good and bad. It's got more health benefits, but as far as the fasting goes, hard to say. Yeah. Just see see how it works for for you. you. (laughs) (laughs) We agree on that. All right. We do. Yeah. All right. Well, this was wonderful. Uh, Do you have any other final thoughts for this episode, Jen? No, I think we got some great questions, as usual. As usual. They just keep on coming. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw one pop up on the screen while we were recording because my I know, I did too. Up. I was, I was like, like, there's another I, question. Yeah. Oh, I know. I saw it. I was like, I wonder if we can inc- incorporate this really quick. But yeah. yeah. We'll never be out of questions, which is a great problem to have. So keep them coming. I know. It is. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Um, so if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 21, that's where you can find show notes for today's episode. And so there we will put links to any of the studies that we referenced. We'll also put links to any of the like the apps or like the Instant Pod or anything that we talked about that we use. Um, we can put links to that stuff there as well. And some last final things. 
If you would like to submit your own question for the podcast, we would definitely love to hear it. Please send it to us. So there are two ways that you can do that. You can send an email directly to questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to that website I just mentioned, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. And then lastly, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, you can subscribe on iTunes and you will automatically get the episodes downloaded, which is pretty awesome. And then if you're on iTunes anyway, and you're in a writing mode and you feel like being supportive, we would love if you could write just a very brief review of the podcast. That would just really be wonderful. We would thank you ever so much. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Y'all have a great week. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy your matcha, matcha tea. Matcha <laughs> tea. Here in, here in Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I said that, I knew it was wrong. Have a great week. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.